A Shifting Spectrum of Grey, a Good Omens fan fiction, written by Penrose Sun, read by God of Laundry Baskets. Part 3 It had been a full decade before Aziraphale had tried to reach out to Crowley again, and when he finally did, the demon was nowhere to be found. Aziraphale told himself that he was relieved by that, that he was glad for the lack of temptation. He told himself the same thing when he went looking for Crowley again, only a few years later, and again when he tried a third, fourth, and fifth time. The problem was that Aziraphale was lonely, and desperately so. He was an angel. And he didn't need constant contact with others the way humans did, not strictly speaking. But then he didn't need food or air either, and he'd grown very accustomed to both over the years. It was in the little things Aziraphale found. It was walking in St. James Park and feeding the ducks in silence. It was the excitement of having just seen or learned something amazing, and hollow realization that he had no one to tell it to. It was eating at restaurants by himself, and going home afterwards to mull over his books and drink alone. Aziraphale distracted himself as best he could. There were a million things to keep him busy— what with the pace of technology and the rising political tensions virtually everywhere. And yet, none of it mattered. Living like this was like missing a limb, and in a horrible moment of clarity, Aziraphale wondered if that was how Crowley had felt while Aziraphale had been actively avoiding him. If maybe it was that rather than simply the holy water debate that had chased the demon away for good. There was no use dwelling on it. What was done was done, and anyway, no matter what Aziraphale felt, it was better for them to stay apart. Better that they stopped whatever it was that they had been doing. Curly had plenty of options when it came to lovers, and at least as many when it came to friends, people who were better at socializing than Aziraphale was, and no doubt came with less risk attached. Aziraphale couldn't fault Crowley for that, and he absolutely would not obsess over the choices that he made and the things he could have done differently to keep the demon by his side. When Aziraphale joined the Hundred Guineas Club a couple of decades later, it was mostly on a whim, albeit an uncomfortably desperate one. He wanted someone to talk to him. He wanted something to do. And he had a vague hope that one of the men here might catch him in the rebound, as they said now, and take his mind off certain things and feelings which he could not afford to name. It didn't take long before he caught the eye of someone of several someones, in fact, 
and it seemed as though courtship had gone a good deal faster since he last bothered to pay attention to it. They were such lovely people, many of them kind, most of them intelligent, all of them beautiful. It wasn't hard to fall into bed with them at all, except... Damn it, all. But none of the sex mattered either. Aziraphale didn't know what to think at first. The slide of bodies against bodies, all those dreadful fluids. It had never been like this before. Every time Crowley and him had made love in the past, it had been beautiful. It had felt right. And now, Aziraphale just felt nothing. It wasn't due to any lack of skill on his partner's part. That much was clear. Physically speaking, sex was as satisfying as it had always been. They'd kissed, they'd spoken, they'd even held each other afterwards, which Aziraphale and Crowley had mostly not, especially towards the end of things. And even so, Aziraphale had found himself eagerly awaiting the entire thing being over so that he could get back to doing literally anything else. His experience with the next partner was much the same, as was his experience with the one after that. In fact, if anything, it only got worse. There was a gnawing unease that only grew with time, some piece of the puzzle that was always just out of his reach. The men he slept with enjoyed it, and that meant that he should, too. And he had in the past. He knew he had. So, what was wrong now? Aziraphale found himself increasingly dreading sex. He felt wrong about it, like a performer or a liar or worse. The anxiety fed onto itself in a negative feedback loop. He was the problem here, clearly. He was broken somehow. Had he always been? Had he been even when he was with Crowley? Don't think about it, he told himself over and over and over again. For God's sake, don't start thinking about you and Crowley in the past. Don't think about Crowley at all. Once, just once, Aziraphale let himself slip. He was with one of the humans from the club, a lovely gentleman with kind eyes and soft hands who loved Catullus and knew the Song of Solomon by heart and had helped teach Aziraphale how to dance. He was beautiful in the moonlight, and he whispered silly promises and unearned praise into Aziraphale's ear. The light fell just so, and for a single moment, Aziraphale imagined golden eyes instead of deep brown, and a different, lighter voice in his ear. And he came on a shattered gasp, thinking about Crowley instead of the beautiful human in his arms. The missing puzzle piece slid into place, and Aziraphale fled the room with a snap of his fingers. Guilt twisted his gut, a searing nausea, and it wasn't even over the gentleman that he'd left so abruptly. And what must he think, 
No, it was far worse. Aziraphale was far, far worse than that, and he wasn't sure whether he wanted to vomit or to cry. Because the thing that had done it, the thing that had pushed him over the edge, it wasn't thoughts of Crowley's mouth or clever fingers or tight, wonderful heart. It wasn't even the thought of lying together with him in the afterglow or kissing like they had so many times before. It was a mental invention, a fantasy of something that had never happened and never would. It was the thought of Crowley telling him that he loved him, whispering it desperately into his ear the way the man had done, and meaning it. Oh, he said quietly, naked and alone in the cold bookshop flat that he had transported himself to, a flat that he had not entered in over sixty years. Oh, dear. It was almost a month before Aziraphale left the bookshop after that, and a year and a half before he returned to the Hundred Guineas Club. And it was only three days after that that Crowley showed up. Aziraphale wasn't sure what to do at first, and hadn't even the slightest idea of what to say. It had been, Lord, it had been almost a century. And there Crowley was, fashionable as always slouching as easily as ever against a brand-new black car, which he had parked very illegally halfway over the club's flower bed. He glanced up when he saw Aziraphale and gave a sort of half-nod that Aziraphale had no idea whatsoever how to interpret. Aziraphale swallowed hard and suddenly found himself completely unable to say anything at all. "'Hi, Angel.' said Crowley, soft and just a bit rough around the edges like always, like they'd been apart for a few weeks rather than a few decades. Crowley, Aziraphale said, although it came out more like a breath than a word. Or do you worry yucking it up with the humans? Crowley said, glancing away. Figured I'd check in. You, um, Aziraphale started. Crowley looked back at him, and, oh, he had forgotten what it was like to be pinned by those eyes, piercing and golden in the night. You have a new car, I see, he finished lamely, and, good lord, what was he doing? Crowley just nodded. Bentley Speed Six. Best car on the market right now. Yes, said Aziraphale. I, um, I suppose so. There was an awkward silence, and when Crowley turned to look away, Aziraphale had the horrible feeling that he was going to turn away for good, that this was the end, and if he didn't act now, if he didn't do something, say something, then Crowley would just get back in his Bentley and drive out of Aziraphale's life again and never come back. Do you think you could give me a ride? 
he blurted, and his voice came out nothing at all like Crowley's, all falling apart at the seams, where the demon's was cool and collected. Just, um, just to the bookshop. Another pause. Aziraphale worried his lip. Right, said Crowley, finally. Hop in. Aziraphale nodded quickly and then hurried over to the passenger seat like he was worried that Crowley would change his mind. He needn't have, though. Crowley waited several seconds before climbing back in after him, and even then he just sat there, hands on the wheel, like he wanted to say something and couldn't start the car until he managed it. Aziraphale, he said finally, and Aziraphale's control shattered. They were kissing before Aziraphale was even consciously aware that he had moved, desperately kissing, kissing like they'd been denying themselves for a century or more. Crowley gasped into his mouth, and Aziraphale pulled him close and kissed him harder. Oh, bloody heaven, said Crowley as he pulled away momentarily for breath. Oh, Satan angel, I've... I've missed you, gasped Aziraphale like it was a horrid confession. In a way, it was. So much. Oh, Aziraphale, you have no idea how much I've missed. They kissed and kissed, and somewhere along the line, Aziraphale ended up practically on top of Crowley, straddling him in the driver's seat. There was an awkward fumbling with belts and trousers, and then a gasp in his ear when he took Crowley's length in hand. Crowley grabbed him hard, and Aziraphale leaned into the touch, desperate for it. What? Crowley panted into his ear. What do you want, Angel? Take anything, anything you want. And for the first time since they'd fought, Aziraphale knew exactly what he wanted. He needed Crowley now, needed to feel him, needed Crowley to take him, claim him, make him his in a way that no one else had ever dared. He manifested a cunt, and then, before he had any time to think, he plunged himself down onto Crowley's waiting cock, impaling himself with a strangled moan. Crowley's eyes went wide and he gasped, his head thrown back in shock or ecstasy. He jerked his hips, barely perceptible, but Aziraphale whimpered at the sensation and the feeling of fullness. Then Aziraphale started to move himself, taking Crowley's cock in earnest. It was too much, too many feelings, too much sensation. Aziraphale could feel himself coming apart, shattering like glass on the feeling of Crowley buried deep, deep inside of him. Crowley, Aziraphale moaned as he rode him. Oh, please, Cro I'm, uh, Crowley. Anything, Crowley breathed. Anything, angel, I... And then he bit his own lip, hard, and whatever else he was going to say was lost in a muffled cry as he came. Aziraphale followed him, tightening and spasming around him and sobbing into his shoulder. Yours, he thought almost hysterically. I'm yours, Crowley. And for a single beautiful moment, he was... Slowly, they came back to themselves. Aziraphale felt broken into a million pieces and put back together clumsily with bits of spackle and glue. 
There was a mess dripping down his thighs and a gear shaft digging into his side. He groaned and shifted, pulling himself off of Crowley's softening cock and clumsily back onto his side of the car without looking at him and, as best he could, without thinking too hard about any of it. So, said Crowley after a moment, his tone carefully light. Um, that was a thing. Aziraphale swallowed and nodded. I, uh, I apologize for my lack of... That is, I... I know that you usually prefer to... He had no idea what he was saying, and hopefully that meant neither did Crowley. So he gestured vague and hoped that Crowley wouldn't ask. And he didn't for all of about thirty seconds. Do you want to talk? Crowley started. There's nothing to talk about, Aziraphale said quickly and as firmly as he could manage. Crowley flinched just a little bit, barely perceptible in the darkness. Right, he said. Sorry, shouldn't have, uh, shouldn't have assumed. God, what was Aziraphale doing? Here Crowley was, back in his life for less than a day, less than a conversation, even, and he'd laid up with him like a cat in heat in a parked car, in public, no less. Anyone could have walked by and seen them. The humans from the club, or Aziraphale's bosses, or Crowley's bosses. And if they had, if it had all gone pear-shaped. He coughed, and then miracled his and Crowley's clothes back into their proper order. I really did miss you, Angel, Crowley said quietly, and Aziraphale felt it like a stab to the gut. Maybe, Aziraphale started. Well, maybe we could go back to... Go back to what? His mind demanded. Go back to him using you for meaningless, casual sex that you were delusional enough to think was just sex for you. Go back to pretending that that's what you wanted out of this? That that's what you want to have with Crowley at all? Crowley gave him a long, searching look. Do you want that? Aziraphale's thoughts flitted through the years, and he knew that it would kill him to go back to the way things were. He knew it would kill him to not. There was no good solution, no exit out of this, because the thing that he wanted from Crowley wasn't sex at all. It was... No, he still couldn't fully admit that, not even in the privacy of his own mind. If he even so much as thought it, it would be all over. Instead, he nodded roughly. If you'd be amenable to that sort of relationship again, then yes, very much so. Crowley nodded. All right, angel. And he put the car into gear, and they drove back to Aziraphale's bookshop, both carefully ignoring the decades between them.
The next day, Crowley invited him to dinner. A few days later, he showed up at the bookshop door in the morning with a bag of fresh croissants from the bakery down the block. The day after that, they fed the ducks together in St. James Park. Within a month, it was almost as though they'd never fought. Except, of course, that Aziraphale knew it couldn't last this time around. He was a powder keg of emotions, a ticking time bomb counting down an ever-diminishing resolve. It was only a matter of time before he slipped up, before the ruse shattered and Crowley saw exactly how pathetic he really was. But he had Crowley now, in a way, and that would have to be enough. Aziraphale was determined to savor it, committing every moment, every touch to memory, filing bits and pieces of Crowley away like precious first editions, all in preparation for the day it fell apart. And it would, because one day he'd stop being able to lie to himself. One day he'd ask for too much. He'd try to push Crowley into sharing something that the demon simply did not have to give. And then... Crowley would leave him. Crowley had quickly gotten into the habit of driving Gaziraphale places, to lunch, to the bookshop, to a blessing or tempting site for work. Almost any excuse was sufficient. They never had a repeat of that one frantic night in 1926, which was just as well because almost anywhere else was more comfortable for that sort of activity. But the worst of whatever had passed between them in those silent decades was clearly behind them, and Aziraphale had always taken him up on his offers for rides without hesitation. So, in 1941, after the bomb had fallen on the church, Crowley had tossed off a lift home without really even thinking about it, fully expecting the angel to follow him. When he got to the car, he was somewhat startled to realize that Aziraphale was, in fact, standing exactly where Crowley had left him, staring off somewhere into the middle distance with an unreadable expression on his face. Angel, he called. Oi, Aziraphale, you coming? Aziraphale startled, like he was suddenly remembering where he was, and then something very tender passed over his features, followed immediately by something strangely guilty. Oh, yes, of course. Aziraphale moved through the rubble like it had snuck up on him, and then clambered, awkwardly, into the passenger seat. He seemed shaken, more so than could be attributed to mere exhaustion. Crowley hesitated before starting the car. Are you okay? he asked. Aziraphale nodded sharply. Quite. All right, Crowley said, although he wasn't particularly convinced. He put the car into gear and headed in the direction of Aziraphale's bookshop. Crowley knew the way by heart, of course. He could drive to Aziraphale's from anywhere in London without having to even think about the route. Ordinarily, this meant that he had more of his attention available for whatever conversation he was having with Aziraphale. But tonight, the angel stayed oddly quiet 
through the entire drive home. Crowley tried to make conversation a couple of times. Aziraphale responded only with noncommittal hmms, and made a very strange expression, like he couldn't decide whether to stare at Crowley or stare at anywhere other than Crowley. They arrived at the bookstore too soon, and Crowley sighed inwardly as Aziraphale got out of the car. He was missing something here. Something had happened this night. Something had given Aziraphale that strange, lost look, and Crowley had no idea what it was, or how he could fix it. And now, Aziraphale would head inside, and the next time they met, it would be like it had never happened. They'd both bury it like they always did. He wished, not for the first time, that he could read Aziraphale even half as well as Aziraphale could read him. Crowley? Aziraphale asked, and Crowley glanced up at him, surprised. I... I don't suppose you'd like to come in? Ah, now this... Crowley recognized the way the angel blushed ever so slightly, the upward lilt of his tone as he asked. Of course, angel, he replied, voice warm and full, he hoped, of promise. If Aziraphale wanted sex, Crowley could easily provide that, and if sex could banish the sudden distance between them, then so much the better. Aziraphale's hands were shaking as he fiddled with the lock, almost dropping the keys. It wasn't like him at all. Crowley miracled the door open, and Aziraphale startled. Oh, um, thank you, he stuttered. Crowley smiled at him, unsure what else to do. Barely even counts at this point, he said, and tried for a casual shrug. After you? As soon as they were in the bookshop, Aziraphale busied himself with nothing, taking Crowley's hat, haphazardly clearing the sofa. He didn't even bother with the books that Crowley had saved, leaving them on the floor in his bag instead of putting them back in their place on his shelves. After the third time that Aziraphale asked if he needed anything, Crowley put a finger to the angel's lips and beckoned to the space on the sofa beside him. I'm fine. Honestly, Angel, just sit down and relax, yeah? It's been a night. Aziraphale let out a soft chuckle, like there was some hidden meaning in something Crowley had said. Yes, it, it certainly has been that. Crowley tensed, the anxiety from the car ride clawing its way back into his stomach, but then Aziraphale sat down, finally, and some of the nervous energy he'd been carrying all the way since the church seemed to dissipate as he did so. They'd done it in the bookshop proper before, on this very couch even, with increasing frequency since their makeup after that stupid fight over the holy water. Crowley reached out and brushed Aziraphale's cheek in what he hoped was the right way to get him to smile, to lean into the touch had been well over a century, and yet Crowley still felt like he was just guessing blindly most of the time when it came to this. Aziraphale did, in fact, lean into the touch, but something still clouded his features, too.
Crowley, he started. Crowley shushed him and leaned in, kissing him gently. He poured everything he had into the kiss, silent ears and unspoken words, and about as much seduction as he'd ever managed. Not too much, but hopefully not too little either. Aziraphale gasped into his mouth, then sighed as Crowley held him, and Crowley desperately willed for this to be enough to banish that new, strained look that the angel suddenly carried. There were fingers in his hair, and Crowley moved his own hands to Aziraphale's chest, undoing the first couple of buttons of his waistcoat. Wait, Crowley, said Aziraphale, pulling away suddenly. What is it, Angel? Crowley asked, and he tried his best to keep his tone from betraying him. What's wrong? Nothing's wrong, lied Aziraphale and Crowley's heart sunk. He moved his fingers away from Aziraphale's vest, hands up and away from him, as non-threatening as he knew how. Crowley, I... Aziraphale started, and then abruptly stopped, biting his lip and looking away. Yes? Crowley prompted. No response. What little confidence Crowley had when he'd entered the bookshop was long gone. He was drifting without any firm social cues to anchor him. Look at me, he wanted to say. Please, Aziraphale, just tell me what I did wrong here. Don't turn away and shut me out and never talk about this. Please, I... Do you... not want to sleep together? He asked instead. Something strained flashed across Aziraphale's face, and when he answered, it was halting and hesitant. I... I think maybe... Um... I think we'd better not. Crowley swallowed and nodded. Would you... Would you like me to leave? He asked. Xerophel was silent for a long moment. No, he said finally. That's the last thing that I want. They sat like that silently, neither of them moving, and the seconds ticked by like hours. Curly didn't know what to do, what to say. There were words on his tongue, yes, but only forbidden words. Words Aziraphale didn't want to hear. Could I maybe... Aziraphale started, after minutes or millennia, and Crowley nearly jumped at the sound. Would you mind terribly if... Yes, prompted Crowley, too loudly and far too eagerly, and then he winced internally as Aziraphale seemed to shy away from the idea. Never mind, said Aziraphale. It's, it was a foolish thought. I'm perfectly happy to just, are you sure I can't get you anything, dear boy? Some wine, perhaps, or... Crowley caught his hand before he could get up from the couch again. 
Aziraphale, he said on a breath. Just tell me what you want. I... Aziraphale faltered, and Crowley forced a smile. Worst thing I can do is say no, right? Aziraphale laughed then, a soft and strangely hurt chuckle that Crowley had no idea how to even begin to interpret. <laughs> that, um, well... And then, all of a sudden, he seemed to lose his nerve completely, jerking his hand out of Crowley's gasp and staring intently at some very interesting part of the floor. Or not, hazard Crowley. You don't, um, you don't have to tell me. If you don't want to, M- uh, maybe I should just leave you alone. Get out of your hair. Unask the question. Stay the night, please? Asked Aziraphale suddenly, his voice almost breaking on it. I mean, not for... Just... I'd like to... Um... I'd just very much like to stay with you without... Uh... Uh... The sex part. If it's not too much trouble? Of course, said Crowley. And then he ran Aziraphale's words by again, because why on earth would he have needed to be so hesitant just to ask for that? And, and, can I, can you maybe... Aziraphale was rapidly trailing off, so quiet by the end that Crowley almost didn't catch the last two words. Hold me? Of course, Crowley said again, and awkwardly shifted closer, bringing the angel into a clumsy embrace. The tension seemed to immediately drain from Aziraphale's body, and he leaned into Crowley, sighing. Thank you said Aziraphale, so soft that Crowley barely heard it, and for the life of him, Crowley didn't understand what was going on at all. When had he ever given the impression that he was opposed to cuddling? They'd done far more than cuddles before, hadn't they? Crowley had been perfectly fine with all of that, even the bits that he didn't much care for. So why had Aziraphale seemed so sure that he'd deny him this? He didn't ask. It would be stupid to ruin the moment. Instead, he held his angel closer and let his fingers trail through his hair. Aziraphale practically melted at that, tightening his hold on Crowley's shoulder even as he went boneless against him. Crowley let his hands wander aimlessly and without intention, a slow circle of his thumb where it lay on Aziraphale's arm, a warm breath and a smile against the curve of his neck. They stayed like that, a platonic tangle of limbs, for a long time. Hours, probably. Slowly, Crowley felt himself drifting off, the anxious energy of the night fading away into nothing. It been a long time since he'd slept, and changing the flight of that bomb had taken more out of him than he'd realized. 
Aziraphale was warm in his arms and smelled like books and ash and home. Hurley's eyes fluttered and closed as he buried himself in the feeling of what was almost but never his. And as sleep overtook him, Crowley imagined that he felt Aziraphale kiss his forehead and whisper words of love. Things changed after the church. Aziraphale had known what was coming the instant that he'd given in, and he'd steeled himself against the inevitable rejection. Now that he'd admitted it to himself that he was, in fact, hopelessly and foolishly in love, there was no way that he could possibly hide it. And of course, there was no way that Crowley would still want him after he knew. So that was the end of things, and Aziraphale had resigned himself to it. Except, bizarrely, the end never actually came. Crowley still made regular social calls. They still went out for dinner and traded favors for the arrangement. They still even slept together sometimes. And the strangest of all, Crowley now routinely stayed the night. Maybe Aziraphale was better at hiding it than he thought he'd be, and Crowley hadn't noticed. Or maybe Crowley had noticed but simply didn't care. Maybe the sex was just that good. It didn't particularly matter. Aziraphale would take what he could get for as long as he could get it. If he were a better person, he'd worry that he was making Crowley uncomfortable and that the demon was staying out of pity. But Aziraphale knew by now that, although he was many things, good in the non-angelic, lowercase g sense, was not really one of them. And besides, if this was pity, then it was only a matter of time until it ran out. Days passed, then weeks, then years, and still... Crowley stayed. He stayed even when he caught Aziraphale staring at him. He stayed even when Aziraphale fought with him about stupid little things that meant everything and nothing at all. Finally, a few decades later, Aziraphale went so far as to rip the bandage off himself once and for all. He'd given Crowley the holy water he'd asked for, the last thing he had to give that Crowley wanted— and then, just to make the point, he turned Crowley down for sex, and instead had gone so far as to ask him out on a real date, which they both knew perfectly well would never happen. And still, Crowley had stayed. Aziraphale found himself slowly forced to admit that Crowley wasn't going to leave him. Not for this, and likely not for anything. Even if he blurted out his love in as many words, and even if he did everything but, Crowley would still be his colleague, and his partner, and his friend. The pressure dissipated, and things got easier. Aziraphale stopped hesitating when they kissed, and began to look forward to every meeting, both sexual and friendly, in a way that he hadn't quite since the start of things. 
They talked freely now, and held each other, sometimes long into the night. It was a prelude to love-making, an epilogue. And although it was light years away from what Aziraphale truly wanted, he counted his blessings, because he knew that it was still so much more than what he deserved. So, tell me about your past conquests, Aziraphale said one night as they lay together afterwards. Conquests? Crowley said the word like it was a foul taste in his mouth. You're really going to call them that? The truth was, the word choice had been deliberately vulgar on Aziraphale's part, designed to camouflage the sincerity of the question and to make it more palatable. He was, well, he was curious. Crowley had no reason to recount his past sexual exploits, and it was probably an inappropriate question to even ask. But Crowley wouldn't storm out because of it, certainly not if Aziraphale made it sound like idle curiosity. At worst, the demons simply wouldn't answer, and Aziraphale burned with the knowledge that Crowley had been with other people, whereas for him, there was no one before Crowley. There was just one more in a long series of advantages Crowley had on him, and he desperately wanted to equalize the field somehow, even now, to be able to pretend that he and Crowley were toying with each other, instead of Crowley just toying with him. Well? Aziraphale prompted. Crowley sighed, and then was silent for a long time. But just when Aziraphale had given up on an answer and was beginning to drift off to sleep, he spoke. There was... There was a woman in Samaria. A prostitute. She smelled like lilies. We spent the night together and... It cost one yearling lamb. It was so very different from what Aziraphale had been expecting both in terms of substance and delivery. Crowley spoke haltingly, hesitant. His breaths had gotten carefully shallow, and the hand which had been playing with Aziraphale's hair had stilled. Oh? said Aziraphale, and he tried desperately to keep his tone casual, to sound disinterested when, in fact, he was dying to know more. And... And then there was Rome. Rome? asked Aziraphale, as though a million scenarios weren't already pouring through his head. The bathhouses, perhaps, the temple whores, had he tempted an emperor, bedded one of the great philosophers. There was an older man. Well, not older, obviously. He just thought he was. He mentored me for two years, but... But? Crowley let his voice trail off, and Aziraphale could have died from the strain it took not to prompt him and just wait, impassive. He only... We only had sex the once, at the beginning of it. What? 
Aziraphale said, surprised, and he said it too loudly, too enthusiastically, too obvious to hide his raft attention. He winced at his own misstep, but Curly didn't seem to notice. Instead, Curly shrugged. Just never really cared to, I guess. It was all right, but nothing special. I liked exchanging letters with him when he was still alive, though. Oh, said Aziraphale, and if the Samaritan prostitute had been unexpected, then he didn't even know what this was. He waited for Crowley to continue, but Crowley said nothing. After a few moments, he went back to playing with Aziraphale's hair. And? Aziraphale prompted, finally, stupidly. Crowley's hand in his hair stilled again. That's it, he said simply, and Aziraphale was so shocked that he pulled away to look at him. Seriously? Crowley halfway nodded, halfway shrugged. There was not a hint of deceit, not one ounce of teasing in his features. Aziraphale swallowed. You only... You'd only... You only had sex with two other people before me? Ever? Crowley nodded. And you only ever did it... Once with each of them, yeah. Crowley nodded. He wasn't even looking at Aziraphale. What about... Aziraphale was flailing. What about temptations? Didn't you ever... I don't know, deflower someone? Seduce someone into sin? I'm not an incubus, said Crowley, sounding positively affronted. Satan below, do you think we all do that? Well, said Aziraphale, and the truth was, he didn't know what he thought. I suppose... I suppose I just sort of assumed. Crowley sighed and turned away from him. <sighs> Wish you wouldn't, he said so softly that Aziraphale barely heard him. Sorry, asked Aziraphale, and Crowley shrugged against him in the darkness. Sometimes it's like, just because I'm a demon. He sighed again, cutting off whatever he was going to say. Forget it, angel. No, go on, said Aziraphale quickly. What about the fact that you're... Crowley hesitated. I just... He paused searching for words. You can be very cruel sometimes, Aziraphale. Oh, said Aziraphale, because he wasn't sure what else to say to that. How, um, how so? Just because I'm a demon, it doesn't mean I feel things any less, you know, continued Crowley. You say these things sometimes, and it's like, 
It's like you think I'd do this with just anyone. And you wouldn't, Aziraphale said slowly. Of course not, said Crowley, and he seemed to curl in on himself. But I... Aziraphale started. Well, it's just that... You said you did, didn't you? Back in the 1860s. Lots of other people, too. I was mad and I was lying, mumbled Crowley. I thought you knew that. Oh, said Aziraphale again, and then before he could think better of it, he blurted, So was I, you know? Yeah, asked Crowley. Of course, said Aziraphale. I've always needed you, Crowley. I... He bit off the confession, almost by habit. You're my best friend. Right, said Crowley into the darkness. Same. Raising the Antichrist and averting the apocalypse turned out to be trying in ways that Crowley had never anticipated. When he and Aziraphale had shown up for work at the Dowling estate, both Mr. and Mrs. Dowling had assumed that they were a couple. Oh, lovely that you kept your name, Miss Ashthorth, Mrs. Dowling had even said at one point. So brave of you to break from tradition. Crowley had carefully corrected her, which helped nothing, since Mrs. Dowling had apparently seen them kiss more than once after work, and also would have noticed the way his dear husband looked at him from a mile away. She gave them off every Valentine's Day, and Aziraphale, always one for indulging in sloth that he knew he could get away with, resolutely refused to help him convince her otherwise. Oh, is it really that bad? Aziraphale said when Crowley asked. Being married to me, I mean. And that was rather the problem. It wasn't bad being married to Aziraphale at all. In fact, quite the contrary. It was everything that Crowley had ever wanted— and it was so close and so far away from the truth. They were still sleeping together and going out to dinner and meeting at concert halls and museums. They called each other pet names. They knew all of each other's habits. They were raising a child together, for fuck's sake. And yet, somehow, none of it was real. It was torturous. Crowley had to constantly stop himself from sliding fully into the role and loving Gaziraphale like he always wanted to. Once, he'd bought him flowers on a whim and had to dump them half a block later when he remembered that Aziraphale wouldn't want them. Another time, he'd started to tell Aziraphale how much he loved him over breakfast and had to last-minute course-correct the sentence into a declaration of how very much he loved the coffee he'd been drinking. Every day, he had to bite back his feelings and smile and pretend, 
And all the while, just to add insult to injury, Mrs. Dowling was making casual comments about how lucky he was that his husband loved him so much. Six years later, finally, Warlock outgrew his nanny, and both Crowley and Aziraphale resigned, returning shortly thereafter as two tutors. Crowley, having been burned once, took a male-looking form for the job, specifically so that this time no one would make assumptions. Except, blast it all, Mrs. Dowling was very supportive of all that, it turned out, and she went ahead and assumed again anyway. It's no business of mine, of course, she said in her dreadful American drawl when the subject of Mr. Cortese came up. Whatever you two do in your own bedroom is fine by me, and by my husband, too. He's really only fiscally conservative. No problem by us at all. And because Aziraphale was a right bastard, he'd left it to Crowley to correct them that time, too. All told, by the time another five years had taken their toll, Crowley was not even surprised to learn that they'd been raising the wrong boy the whole time. It was basically the only thing left that could possibly go wrong. Midway through the drive back from the former hospital, Aziraphale turned to him quite casually and said, There's a very particular feeling to this whole area. I'm astonished you can't feel it. Crowley sniffed. I don't feel anything out of the ordinary. But it's everywhere, he insisted. All over here. Love. Flashes of love. And Satan, but Crowley hated Aziraphale sometimes, because it wasn't enough that they were still doing whatever the fuck this was. It wasn't enough that Aziraphale had halfway rubbed it into his face for eleven years, had thrown him absolute scraps for a century before that, all the while giving him those god-blessed puppy eyes about it the whole time. No, he had to drag it up and make a thing of it now. Oh yes, flashes of love, Crowley. You wouldn't happen to know where all of this love is coming from, would you, Crowley? I mean, you're not still hung up on that, are you? You couldn't possibly still be pining for me after all this time, because that would be so incredibly pathetic. And not like you can back out of this conversation while we're busy searching for the Antichrist, so... Bless Aziraphale to heaven and back. Bless him off a fucking cliff. Crowley's grip tightened on the steering wheel. You're being ridiculous, he said tersely, eyes on the road, and mind all the way back to a late summer night in 1815, after a very specific production of the magic flute. The last thing we need right now is... And then... Thank someone, a bicycle hit the car. The End Part 3